Welcome to Your Child's Brain, a podcast series produced by Kennedy Krieger Institute with assistance from WYPR. I'm Dr. Brad Schlager, pediatric neurologist and president and CEO of Kennedy Krieger Institute. This month's podcast discussion is about Project ECHO. ECHO here is an acronym that stands for Extension for Community Healthcare Outcomes. Project ECHO is a national training program that connects specialists with on-the-ground practitioners to bridge healthcare gaps, especially for under-resourced and underserved communities. I'm pleased to be joined today by my colleagues from Kennedy Krieger, Drs. Mary Leppert and Joyce Harrison. Dr. Leppert is a neurodevelopmental pediatrician in the Department of Neurology and Developmental Medicine at Kennedy Krieger Institute and is founder and co-director of the Teaching Excellence in Neurodevelopment Program at Kennedy Krieger, as well as Project ECHO. She's also an associate professor of pediatrics at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Harrison is a child and adolescent psychiatrist in the Psychiatric Mental Health Program at Kennedy Krieger Institute. She's also project director for Kennedy Krieger Institute's network for early childhood teleeducation, which we call Connect, and is associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. So welcome, Mary and Joyce. And Joyce, let's start with you. And Project Echo really has a very interesting origin. Can you tell us about Project Echo and and how it got started? Thanks for having us today. And everybody who knows me knows I love to talk about Echo because I I think it's a great model and um, one that's near and dear to my heart. So it actually started almost 20 years ago um, at the University of New Mexico with Dr. Sanjeev Arora, who really is sort of the who's sort of this cult leader of this movement, and he calls it a movement. Um, But he conceived of this um, Project ECHO model because um, he he is a hepatologist practicing in New Mexico, which geographically is huge. And um, he he realized that um, hepatitis C patients were dying and they easily could have gotten care if there was a way to move his knowledge to other primary care providers. And so for us, we spend about 40 minutes with our case discussion, and then we provide a brief um, talk, a a didactic lecture, if you will, um, for 15 minutes on a very clinically relevant or or other topic for the providers. So it it becomes this kind of longitudinal learning um, situation, and it's, it's not telemedicine, but it's really guided practice with the goal of really creating local experts. So having primary care providers learn learn what they need, basics of specialty care that they can do in the medical home. And it really promotes best practices, monitors outcomes, and creates um, networks of providers whom other providers can go to or send their patients to. It's a, it's a great example of a model that generalizes beyond what it was originally intended to do. It's focused on capacity building and really gets at access, especially, as you point out, in places where there are uh, maybe only one specialist or perhaps no specialists in a broad geographic area to make sure that, that people who live there have access to specialty care. And that's, that's really relevant to what we think about it at places like Kennedy Krieger Institute, focusing on on pediatric developmental brain-related issues. So, Mary, let's talk about the shortage, the workforce shortage that we have of pediatric specialists broadly who focus on child development 
like developmental pediatrics and child neurology and so on. And how has that shortage impacted children and families? Well, well, thanks, Brad, because Joyce got her favorite topic and you've moved on to mine. When, when we think about children with developmental problems, we also think about children with mental health, emotional and behavioral problems. And, and the, the new terminology is MEDB disorders. It's mental, emotional, developmental and behavioral. And nearly one in four children in the United States have one of these disorders now. The specialists for caring for these children are in really, really short supply. When you just think about uh, developmental pediatricians, whether they're DBP, developmental and behavioral pediatrics, or neurodevelopmental pediatrics, there's only one of us for every 10,000 children in the United States with a disability. It's just not a big enough workforce. And ECHO really is sort of the venue that I think is going to allow us to expand the workforce substantially. Because there's so few of us, our wait lists are long, and access is compromised not just by our wait lists, but by the volume of patients, the distance to these subspecialty clinics, and insurance, et cetera. So, so there's a lot of problems with accessing care, um, not just geographic ones. That access problem has a tremendous impact on our children and families. The, the impact is really substantial because what we know is symptoms of these mental health, emotional, developmental, and behavioral disorders, they, they start in very early childhood. And um, we know that almost half of the children with developmental disabilities aren't diagnosed till after they get into school. We also know that that's very similar for children with mental health disorders. And especially in early childhood, there's a two to four year delay between this, when the symptoms start and when children are identified. And we also know that only one in eight of those children with mental health disorders are receiving the services they need. So the workforce is small and the problem is big. Those numbers that you referenced, Mary, are, are likely very much pre-pandemic. And we know that this, this recent period of time, the demand for, for mental health resources for children, especially and, and early childhood uh, specialists in general, has only increased. So I, I, we, there's much to unpack here to talk through, but you made a comment a moment ago about the medical home. I think it would be a, a helpful to describe what is the medical home and, and how does Project ECHO and this mechanism for training uh, local providers relate to the medical home? The medical home is really what we think about with the pediatrician, where they're caring for children in community, and, the, and really also the community resources that are available um, to the pediatrician, or the family medicine doctor, nurse practitioners, PAs, all of the medical providers that are caring for children with these disorders, especially in early childhood. We actually believe that through the mechanism of Project ECHO, we can help build expertise in the medical home because what we do know is we'll never be able to expand the, subspecial, the specialty workforce to meet the demands of the mental health crisis, especially in early childhood. Yeah, just to underscore, there's a there's longstanding shortage of specialists in, in these areas. 
and there isn't going to be a mechanism that leads to more and more specialists. So that, that, that's really the answer to why we have to capacity build to train primary care physicians, family practice physicians, general practitioners, pediatricians, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, and so on, as you laid out. So Joyce, can, can you tell us about how, how it actually works? You, you alluded to some of the elements a moment ago, but how does Kennedy Krieger's ECHO project work? We started our Connect, so Kennedy Krieger's, Krieger Institute's network for early childhood teleeducation. So we were federally funded to work with um, pe- medical uh, pediatric providers. So we had nurse practitioners, we had pediatricians, we had a couple of family medicine practitioners. Um, we started with uh, funding to cover the state of Maryland, but then we were able to expand into West Virginia um, because uh, one of our pediatric partners had a friend who was a family practice doc in West Virginia, invited us to go down and do a, a talk. And then uh, we got uh, people across the state who wanted to join us. And the beauty of the actual video conferencing is that it, it's we do it. We're, we're available on the, on the uh, network. And so it doesn't cost us to have people join us. And what what the providers have to give is an hour of their time. So we we were funded for four years. And when our federal funding was finished, we were able to procure some state funding. And um, what the state wanted us to do was to work regionally, to start with a region that they identified in Maryland, a very high need and very low resources, which was the lower shore, they were very specific about um, which counties were included. And what they wanted us to do was not work, work not only with the medical providers, but to include the early childhood stakeholders. So um, the early childhood educators, mental health providers, social workers, special educators who were struggling with these very young children showing up in their settings, um, you know, with, with, uh, behavioral, mental health, emotional, and developmental needs that they just couldn't even begin to address. Um, and so this has been a real, this was a real pivot for us, but it has, has, uh, has been a really rich experience because what we are seeing is we, we, we're building these local networks where the providers who don't know each other are getting to know each other and understanding what they do, what the resources are, and connecting each other. So we just completed in, in June, the Lower Shore Echo in the state uh, was is currently now supporting us to do one in Southern Maryland in, in, in three counties. And we have this same sort of composition of a mix of medical providers and early childhood providers and administrators and, and educators. So we have this hour, we spend 40 minutes talking about the cases and it's back and forth. So we hear about a child um, who one of the one of our partners is struggling with and you know puts out the all the information to the group we open it up to the group for questions for more information we have our own questions and then together we generate um, recommendations and a plan and I think the biggest um, service that we do for our partners is they're seeing children who really have, a multitude of problems that need to be addressed. And we help guide them to prioritize what are the things they realistically can get done and plan, you know, okay, we're going to do this first, then this, then this. 
um, so that they're not overwhelmed by this, you know, really laundry list of things that need to be addressed for this child. And so the, the, the children that we are talking about are, are very, very complicated. And again, they can be overwhelming to the, to the partners that we're working with. We have seen their ability to sort of begin to think about how to approach some of these really comp- complex um, problems that they're seeing. In a little bit, we'll, we'll talk more, I think, about the outcomes have been in terms of the abilities for the people who participate in the ECHO uh, to take on common and more complicated kinds of, of uh, patient scenarios. Uh, but, I, you know, earlier on, we mentioned, you mentioned it was sort of teleeducation. And I think in the current climate, people hear that and think of students doing virtual learning and telemedicine. How how is what you're describing different from the way people are currently thinking about teleeducation and telemedicine? Project Echo is entirely different than telemedicine, right? Telemedicine, which we've been doing a lot of in the last few years, um, is a patient encounter. It's it's a patient and their physician or nurse practitioner um, in a remote setting, but it is one patient at a time, and it's subject really to the same barriers. The only barrier that it breaks is geography, but there's still wait lists. There's still insurance barriers to telemedicine. It, it is one patient at a time where ECHO is really, it, it is tele-education. What we're doing in, in Project ECHO is trying to build the knowledge and the skill set of the physicians and early childhood providers that are on the call Um who are responsible for several hundred patients in their practices that have similar disorders. So we use these cases that are completely de-identified as models for teaching how to think through cases, how to think through some common difficulties that present especially in early childhood, um, and how to use the resources in their community to get that child what they need It allows the providers to employ what they're learning across all the patients in their practices. So I kind of think of this, Brad, as the difference between giving somebody a fish and teaching them how to fish. I think Echo is teaching them how to fish. Mary, you you need to build a curriculum and um, prioritize what items, what topics are being addressed. So can you take us through a little bit of what those topics are and how you determine the prioritization for your curriculum. Sure, I'd be happy to. We, um, With every new cohort to our ECHO, we actually start, after we introduce ourselves to people, with a needs assessment. This needs assessment allows us to find out what the participants' learning priorities are. And what we're what we've been finding over the last six years is that the learning priorities really are about behavioral health concerns and a lot of disruptive behavior. And what we've done is we've built really a whole curriculum now that the content is geared towards all of the conditions, the mental health, the emotional, the developmental, and the behavioral disorders that present as disruptive behavior especially in early childhood, right? We frequently get the calls about the three-year-old who is out of control. We had the one this week, out of control child. Parents are at the end of the rope. 
what we're trying to do is to let them work through all the things that could contribute to that disruptive behavior. That would include topics on autism, anxiety disorders, ADHD. We talk about developmental delay and intellectual disability and how that presents um, disorders of uh, communication and trauma, all of which can present with a child with out-of-control temper tantrums at three. But there's a lot of reasons behind it. So we've built this curriculum. We use the needs assessment to help inform what the syllabus is for the cohort. Our goal from this is to provide awareness of all the potential causes of the symptoms and to identify um, or to give the tools that can identify the likely cause, to help make diagnoses, and to help primary care doctors figure out how to manage these conditions in their community. Mary, what, what kinds of metrics do you use to, to demonstrate, to measure and demonstrate the efficacy of the, of, of the ECHO program? We do use some objective measures and we use some subjective measures. And I, I wish we could quantify the subjective ones better because I think it's better data. But um, objectively, what we learn is that our participants have shown substantial, actually statistically significant gains in their knowledge and their skills, and most importantly, in their confidence in caring for children with these disorders. Our data is also showing us a tendency, not a significance, but a tendency towards our participants managing the majority of children with these um, mental health, emotional and developmental disorders within their own practices and with the support of their community. You know, our hope is that primary care providers will be able to manage more of these children in their community um, and then refer the children who are really complex or may need specialists directly to us. Um, because if this is effective, we will shorten our wait lists and improve access to care. Shorten the wait lists and improve access to care. Those are you know, first order objectives, improving outcomes for those children as well. Often not discussed is that by, by having local providers able to take on these common and sometimes challenging situations, they're missing less work. The children are missing less school. There's all, all kinds, I think, secondary and beyond of benefits of not having to travel long distances to see a specialist at some interval, if it's possible to take care of those, those issues close to the medical home. I think that, that, that sort of social impact effect is is uh, another benefit of this capacity building locally. So Joyce, you, you must hear success stories from the participants, the before and after experience. Can you, can you tell us about a success story for uh, some of the participants who've, who've uh, given you feedback about the program? So um, we actually, we have uh, one pediatrician who has been with us through all of our six years, who, who, who is just... Um, has said what she's been able to do in her practice. And she, you know, in our minds really is this um, completely competent. She can see the most complex children and, and figure them out. And I also think she's someone to whom other pediatricians refer because she's a pediatrician that they know and trust. And she feels that she can take on 
all of these, um, you know, really challenging uh, problems because she has, we have her back is one of the things she has said to me. Um, we feel like we have, you know, personal relationships with a lot of the, the providers and, and um, stakeholders that we work with. But I think that, you know, it's hard to measure by patient success stories, sort of the way we are used to thinking about them. With us, it's more provider success stories. So when we see someone, and many of the practices we have worked with in pediatrics are large groups where there's always been someone in the practice who's identified as the one who they send the behavior problems to. And to see that person really blossom as a comfortable expert in, in, in you know, addressing these disruptive behaviors and really getting to the bottom of these disruptive behaviors is great because, again, then we, we get to see the, the really, really complicated ones who really do need to see us, and they're managing such a, a broader range. So, um, you know, seeing that, that uh, they, they, um, they are, they're comfortable because they know we have their back, and they feel, they say this all the time, they feel much less isolated because yeah. they, they, have, they have the support and the network. I was going to add that too. I think that one of the, the most lovely comments that we get back and we hear this fairly frequently is that the pediatricians and participants say, tell us that they feel less alone in having to manage some of these conditions in the community. You know, I think ECHO is all about building local expertise. And I, I think we are doing that and we have evidence that we're doing it. But the unanticipated benefit that we're seeing is that there are these collaborations that are being established among the participants and uh, with our hub team that has been really the joy of doing ECHO. So what are the plans for the future? I, I, that Really, this is a question for both of you. How do you. What do you hope to accomplish next in the Project ECHO journey, if you will? We want to keep doing echoes forever, but if we, you know, if we think, if I think about, you know, what's my, what's my hope, what's my goal is, you know, we put ourselves out of business because they, they don't need us. They really truly become experts, but I, I don't foresee that happening because I know, as you said at the very beginning of this podcast, that, that we're never going to be able to meet the um, mental health, emotional, behavioral, and developmental needs of, of this particular population. Um you know, I, I'm an infant psychiatrist, infant and preschool psychiatrist. There are a handful of us uh, across the country. So for this particular age group, many psychiatrists won't seek it. So putting ourselves out of business is sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an unrealistic hope, but, uh, but so we, you know, we are focused on early childhood, but we've seen the range of echoes that are done and we have so much expertise at, at Kennedy Krieger Institute that we, we want to see a, bigger range of, 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 of topics that can be addressed, things like children with, you know, medically complex uh, children, children with uh, all sorts of needs that, that we are really, that are really unique to our population. Um, we personally, we have two more echoes in the works, one with uh, um, uh, providers of, uh, for military families with young children, um, and another with Maryland State Department of Education that we're hoping to um, to launch and, and get support for. So just expanding who our partners are, what kinds of topics we can do is really what we're very hopeful about. I think that, you know, one more hope, um, I think, from this project is that by arming primary care, maybe we'll get the identification of these disorders earlier, um, 
get them to the right places earlier and maybe change the trajectory for these children as they age? Because we know that the earlier we identify it and everybody understands what's going on, the better off that that child is likely to be in the future. Well, therefore, how can medical providers or or other clinicians uh, learn about Project ECHO and, and gaining access to it? There is a large website at the University of New Mexico just called Project ECHO, and it lists all of the different ECHO projects across the world, not just the country. So if you're interested in a specific topic, I would go to the University of New Mexico Project ECHO website. They can direct, they have a list of every topic. We can provide that link on the page for this uh, podcast, and we can also include some other links that uh, could be informative for for anybody listening who thinks this is something that they want to learn more about, whether it's at the broad University of New Mexico, the origins of Project ECHO, or right here in Maryland. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Brad. Thank you so much to this month's guests for this fascinating discussion about expanding the medical knowledge in under-resourced and underserved communities. We hope all of you listening in have enjoyed the discussion as much as we have. We hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and consider rating it as well. We invite you to check out our entire podcast library at wypr.org slash ycb, kennedykrieger.org slash ycb, wypr.org slash studios, or wherever you get your podcasts.